This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Uh, my first week with the, the new version of the show. It was um, great to listen to um, the latest edition of 3CR's Voice of West Papua. I know it's actually not voice, it should be voices because there's, you know, a few, um, uh, presenters there and it's presented by West Papuan activists and community members who voice the aspirations of Papua struggle. Uh, Voice of West Papua airs on 3CR every Monday evening at 5.30. Um, before I get on with the show, 3CR is proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. It's uh, great to be back with you for another hour. Just a quick update on the show um, today. I will be talking to Stephanie Cousins. Uh, She's the uh, Advocacy and External Affairs Manager at Amnesty International about um, the bipartisan committee's decision not to rubber stamp um, racism and that's changes to the Racial Discrimination Act. Um, And for most of us who listen to 3CR, the you know, there's been a, a long-running um, debate about 18C and 18D, so we'll talk to um, Stephanie at around 7.45. And after 8, we've got uh, Sophie Veras, the online editor uh, at SBS. Um, SBS is an NITV, have been running Race Week this week. We know um, on SBS, I think it was Sunday night, um, Ray Martin uh, had his show, Is Australia Racist? And then... There's um, Date My Race, which aired on Monday, and then last night, The Truth About Racism was on. So it'd be great to um, talk to somebody at NITV and find out what this uh, photo series concept um, is. It was done, um, I think the the gentleman's name, it it escapes me at the moment, but uh, it's uh, Stuart who took all the photos. And it's about um, being Indigenous, but also being a Muslim. Come celebrate the collective achievements of working women past, present and future at the Women's Rights at Work Festival, March 1 through 9. Events include Feminist Book Club, The Rock and Frock Scala, Breakfast with Anne Summers, Feminist Politics in the Pub, a women's footy clinic, Feminist Activist Skills Workshops and a conference to stop gendered violence in the workplace. Also join us for the International Women's Day Rally, 5.30pm on March 8th. Contact the women's team at Trades Hall or visit unionwomen.org.au for more details. Victoria Trades Hall Council and the Victorian Trades Hall Women's Team are 3CR supporters. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Wednesday the 3rd of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Forward slash people. It's 7.32 on 855 AM 3CR. Top of 27 today. I always forget to, the weather. Um, it's time now for alternative news. Um, 
Hot off the press, uh, triple win opportunity for Australia. I mentioned that uh, my show today is sort of focusing on the issues of race and racism. So the Centre for Policy Development have a new report which shows that getting more refugees into jobs faster would provide significant social and economic benefits to Australia. Uh, Settling Better is the name of the report. So Reforming Refugee Employment and Settlement Services analyses Australia's integration of refugees into the labour market, identifying participation barriers and suggesting realistic solutions to improving outcomes. Um, And this report shows everybody wins when refugees are able to get jobs soon after resettlement, said the CEO of Centre for Policy Development. Um... Travis McLeod, and the report um, has been written by Henry Sherrill, so you can actually go to the Centre for Policy Development website. But interestingly enough, it's been also covered by the mainstream media, which, uh, you know, it's good to see that they're they're getting their hands dirty as well. Um, Someone else's shoes. Uh, This is a story written by Chris Graham, and what this talks about is... um, well, we're, we're past that now. It's almost uh, over a month. But a simple guide to understanding why January 26 is so offensive. Um, some Australians say silly things to avoid discussing the big black elephant in the room. Um, and uh, Chris Graham, in his article, provides a, a simple list of rebuttals. So there's a few um, silly things like everyone's upset and just needs to come down. I don't know what people are getting upset about. Um, you know, Chris says, you know, 50, 40, even 20 years ago, you might accept that lack of understanding around the insensitivity of celebrating Australia Day. Um, some of them are, why can't we just get along? Aboriginal people don't have to participate in Australia Day. They can go to work or do something else. I didn't do it. Why should I lose my Nationality Day? Um, I should be able to celebrate as I want to. My, my favourite, it's time to move on. We already dealt with this. Um, no date will ever be acceptable. And I guess what Chris is saying is in the upshot that Aboriginal people in a growing number of non-Aboriginal supporters are never going to accept January 26th as our national day. It's simply never going to happen. Um, and that means we have, we either or can either have this fight every year or we can start a respectful national discussion about a way forward, which I think the majority of Australians would probably appreciate uh, a respectful discussion about a way forward probably needs to happen and it seems like it's happening, but... Um, January 26 will stay January 26 um, for a while. Uh, one is the response of a mature, compassionate, confident nation, um, and the other is the response of an immature, divided nation that refuses to confront the truth of its past. And I guess what Chris is saying is, which nation do you want to pass on to your children and grandchildren? There's a story here about 100-plus LGBTI groups and leaders welcoming consensus Senate report and calling for Parliament to deliver marriage equality in 2017. Uh, More than 100 Australian LGBTI groups and leaders, including the Human Rights Law Centre, have joined together in the wake of the Senate inquiry report into the draft amendment to the Marriage Act to voice their support for the example set by the community and to urge the Parliament to act on marriage equality for all Australians. Um, And that was yesterday. It it surprises me that we might get to the end of the year and this... uh, issue would still be, well, it's not an issue, but this uh, debate that we're having will still be um, at the forefront of discussions amongst um, you know, LGBTI groups and the broader Australian public. Um, and following on from that, there was a media release on the 28th talking about same-sex couples in South Australia having access to IVF and unpaid surrogacy. So the South Australian Parliament has passed a law allowing 
equal access to assisted reproductive treatment and unpaid surrogacy for same-sex couples. Um, and this removed the last direct legal discriminations against lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer people from the statute books of the state. They do call it a backwater state, but they're moving a lot faster than uh, Victoria are. So here, here to the South Australian government. Uh, and that is the latest edition of Alternative News. Um, there are a few places you can go yourself to um, get some alternative news. You know, places like um, New Matilda have got some, um, The Informer and The Economist, um, to name a few. What I might do is um, go to a few more community announcements and I might. Um, there was a, I think it was, um, the, there was a, a Nick Wallace um, was, was speaking to one of our presenters from... Um, uh, I, I don't know how to say this properly. It's always MP Psychedelic, which is broadcast every Sunday between 2 and 3. Um, so this is about the um, terms of reference for drug reform. And Fiona Patton, obviously, is the president of the Australian Sex Party and member of the Legislative Council, um, was speaking about the inquiry. Um, and yeah, there's just a, a two-minute um, chat with, um, with uh, Nick Wallace, speaker, talking about drug reform. On the 11th of November 2015, the Legislative Council issued the attached terms of reference for the inquiry into illicit and synthetic drugs and prescription medication. The committee has since refined the terms of references and amended the inquiry title to the inquiry into drug law reform. There are two terms of reference. Number one, the effectiveness of laws, procedures and regulations relating to illicit and synthetic drugs and the misuse of prescription medication in minimising drug-related health, social and economic harm. And number two, the practice of other Australian states and territories and overseas jurisdictions and their approach to drug law reform and how other positive reforms could be adopted into Victorian law. President of the Australian Sex Party and member of the Legislative Council, Fiona Patton, was integral in getting this inquiry before the committee. I was, um, you know, I was privileged to establish the um, end of life choices inquiry and was um, very honoured to be on that inquiry. Now we received over a thousand submissions in that inquiry. It was unprecedented, and I would hope that we would see similar numbers for this inquiry. And those were very personal. You know, they were people talking about their personal experiences with end of life. Um, and I would love, I think that it would be so valuable for the committee to hear personal stories from people about their experiences, about their relationships with drugs, about where, how we could make better drug policy and what the individuals think it should look like. To have your say, visit parliament.vic.gov.au, follow the links to the Law Reform Road and Community Safety page and click on Inquiry into Drug Law Reform. And don't forget to tune in to 3CRs in Psychedelia this Sunday from 2pm. Join the International Women's Day Rally on Wednesday the 8th of March at 5.30pm starting at Parliament House and finishing at Trades Hall for an after party. International Women's Day sparked the Russian Revolution 100 years ago and in honour and memory of our sisters then who took strike action over bread, we raised the demand, peace, bread and land. Join us for the IWD Rally on Wednesday, March the 8th at 5.30pm at Parliament House. 
Contact the women's team at Trades Hall for more details or visit unionwomen.org.au. The IWD Collective, Victoria Trades Hall Council and the Trades Hall women's team are 3CR supporters. I mentioned earlier that um, during the last few days and I guess this whole week, NITV are running, oh, NSBS are running uh, you know, a series of shows on um, Australia and, and racism and race. Um, and um, a few days ago, there was a, a decision um, welcomed by Amnesty, Amnesty International, which welcomed, I guess, bipartisan um a decision, a bipartisan decision, not to rubber stamp racism uh, at a time when racist attacks and hateful speech are on the rise around the world. Um, Amnesty International is and has strongly welcomed the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Human Rights decision not to water down the Racial Discrimination Act. To find out about, um, I guess, the impact of, of, of this decision and, and why Amnesty International is welcoming the committee's decision, we are joined by the Advocacy and External Affairs Manager at Amnesty International, Stephanie Cousins. Good morning, Stephanie. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. Um, You're welcome. Happy to talk. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the decision to um, recommend no changes to these sections, uh, and I'll get into the sections in just a minute, just for mm-hmm. some of our listeners who might not know. Um, yep. I guess it shows a, a bit of a, a, a glimpse into yeah, the, the whole concept of human rights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a committee that is responsible for inquiries and um, matters of legislation that relate to human rights. Uh, and we were quite concerned that when the committee was instructed to look at the Racial Discrimination Act, given there's been so much politicisation of this act and what it intends to do, which is really to protect people from racist hate speech, um, we were really concerned that the committee would recommend changes that would water down those protections, um, and the committee hasn't, in fact, which we were quite surprised, actually, to see. Um, instead, what the committee has done, they have recommended that um, politicians across the political spectrum um, invest more in speaking out against racism. They've also recommended more funding for education programs to, like, anti Um, racism education programs, which we really welcome. Um, And instead of recommending any changes to um, water down the Racial Discrimination Act, the particular section 18C, which we can talk about, um, they've offered a couple of options of what the government could do, including not making any changes at all to 18C, which is obviously what we support. Um, Yeah, so it was a surprising and positive outcome, which we welcomed. And I guess the the 18 seat itself, um, the law says, you know, it's uh, it's unlawful for someone to do an act that is reasonably likely to offend, insult, humiliate, or intimidate someone because of their race or exactly. ethnicity. Was um, the weakening of that, in your uh, opinion, was it something that might have further legitimised and encouraged racism? Do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. So some of the options on the table put forward um, were to remove the words offend and insult um, or just to remove um, the section 18C altogether. Mm. Um, And, I mean, that's just really worrying for us because this is really the main protection for people who feel like they have been um, hurt, um, harmed directly by racist hate speech. 
um, to remove 18C would leave literally one in five Australians who experience racism um, without that protection, which we just think is crazy at a time when we're actually seeing a rise of hate speech around the world. We're seeing an increase in hate crimes in countries like the UK and the US, um, which is very much bound up in the rhetoric of um, blame and fear that's being perpetuated in those countries, um, which is why we really need political leadership um, and we also need basic protections like the protections afforded by 18C. In addition to that, though, and Amnesty, I must stress, we protect all human rights. We advocate for all human rights. That includes the right to freedom of expression. Um, The Racial Discrimination Act also protects um, freedom of expression by Mm. the protections afforded in 18D, um, which essentially basically say if your um, racist speech is... Um, can be protected if it's um, reasonably in good faith. Um, you know, even if even if you say something very offensive, there's been many cases where, um, you know, for example, cartoonists or um, journalists have said things that have been racially offensive. Um, it can be protected under 18D if it's reasonably in good faith um, and for the purpose of um, a journalistic work or an artistic work. Um, so... The, the law does absolutely strike the right balance between freedom of speech and the right to be protected from racial hatred, which is why we've supported no changes to it. We don't know what's going to happen now. Um, obviously, the ball is still in the government's court um, and they can you know, make changes to laws any time they see fit, really, as long as they get the parliament behind them. Uh, but we really hope after this inquiry, and it was a very extensive inquiry, they literally went to every state in Australia they had thousands of um, submissions, I think over 11,000 submissions. Um, so we're really, really hoping now that the government goes, OK, this, we need to put this to bed. This has been thoroughly investigated. And the committee that investigated it could not come up with a recommendation that would change 18C and be suitable and um, welcomed by the community. Let's not do it because it's actually a really bad idea. We need these protections so we're really hoping to hear Malcolm Turnbull commit to that. Um, but obviously, it's a very politically charged issue in Canberra, unfortunately. And I guess it might be in 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 people who might understand both laws or look at both laws, it might be a, a, a mindfully charged situation within yourself too, because they're quite, um, you know, it's 18C and 18D, they're talking about removing the word offend or insult. But on the other mm. hand, you mentioned that the law works both ways. It's it's providing um, a safety net for uh, artistic work, scientific debate and fair comment as well. Yeah. So exactly. it's, it's um, you know, some people might say, well, they actually counteract each other, but it seems like you need to have those clear guidelines. Um, and, and I guess there's been a fine balance achieved over the last 20 years. Absolutely. And I should say as well, Dean, that the law is really important in that it actually provides a mechanism for people who feel like they've been racially um, the, the subject of racial hate speech to make a complaint. Hmm to the Human Rights Commission and have that complaint mediated. And what that means is the person who's responsible for the conduct, who may have said something in public, so it's not private speech, it's speech in public, that made someone feel absolutely humiliated because of their race. Um, It's a mechanism to enable those people to sit down together and work it through and to have that mediated by the Human Rights Commission. Um, And in most of the cases where the Human Rights Commission does conciliate 
the complaint. In fact, 98% of people who go through conciliation are satisfied with the outcome at the end of it. That's the stats from the Human Rights Commission. Hmm. Um, that includes the victims and also the people who um, are responsible for, um, for this racist speech. Um, so that's a really high satisfaction rate when you think about it. Only one case went to court last year. Um, and Amnesty's view is really a complaints mechanism for this sort of thing um, that enables people to sit around the table and work it out, apologise, make reparations mm. um, and learn from the experience. That's the kind of complaints um, and mediation mechanism you need. We don't want these cases always going to the courts because they get tri- dragged out um, and, you know, the courts often for these sorts of things aren't really where you're going to get the best outcome. What you want is a conciliation, and that's what the Human Rights Commission does. So, you know, there's been a lot of focus on a couple of outlier cases um, mm. that have gone to court, but they are the absolute exception to the rule. Um, and for the vast majority of people, this law is working really well. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that because I know um, uh, Peter Boyle, Last year, you know, was talking about the attacks on Racial Discrimination Act uh, not being about free speech. And he talked about, mm. obviously, with Section 18D, the law encouraging complaints to be dealt with through the, concili- you know, through conciliation through the Human Rights Commission. And you mm. mentioned 98% of them are quite fair and they're, they're, they're dissolved before that. And he talks about, you know, 3% of cases actually get to go to court. What, what yep. type of cases have they been? And you mentioned that they might be quite you know, severe, but what yeah. some of the examples of the cases that do get to court? Yeah, well, sometimes it's it's a matter of severity and there have been very severe cases that have been adjudicated by the courts and where the courts have actually found for, um, you know, the, the complainant in the case, um, cases of, you know, racial harassment and abuse at work, people having colleagues from um, from work leaving racial slurs on, on um, post-it notes on their computers and just harassing them basically at work for their race. Um, so those are the kinds of cases that have been found in favour of the victims. Um, there was a case last year, um, the QUT case, um, Queensland University um, case, where um, that was a bit more complicated and actually the, um, the judge ended up finding um, with the respondent, not with the um, complainant in mm. that case. Um, and I think that case has had a lot of um, public attention, um, which, you know, it's really important to recognise that the complainant in that case, Cindy Pryor, she wasn't a vexatious lit- litigant, um, but the judge found that there wasn't sufficient um, evidence in his view that um, there'd been a breach of 18C. Um, and actually, I mean, that case really shows that the law also works because the bar is set very high, Um the evidence needs to be strong and, um, you know, there, there needs to be quite a serious um, amount of harm caused by the speech. It's not um, trivial or, you know, um, mere slights, as the judge has, um, the judges have called it. Mm. So it needs to be quite significant. And so that's the only case, the QUT case is the only case that actually went to court last year um, and... You know, in that case, it, it, it upheld for the respondents. So um, that really does show that the law, it's not perhaps a perfect case. And I think in every single um, part of the law, you're going to get cases that, um, you know, some people argue should never have gone to court. Mm. Um, mm. And, you know, that's going to happen in every law. Um, so the idea is to try and make sure the conciliation um, process at the Human Rights Commission is as effective as possible. And, 
Um, this committee has also recommended some changes to um, the way the Human Rights Commission can handle complaints that might assist with that. Um, but we really do stress, in the main, the Human Rights Commission's process is extremely effective and, um, you know, supported by the people that go through it. We're speaking to Stephanie Cousins from Amnesty International, and I think with your press release you also talked about um, the inquiry missing an opportunity to address uh, the genuine threats of, of uh, to freedom of expression and the free press mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, is, is there some ambiguity with um, some parts of the law in regards to that? Yeah, so this is actually beyond the Racial Discrimination Act. So we were really, when we saw, oh, the government has put out an inquiry into freedom of speech, we thought, great, let's engage with that because we have a lot of concerns about restrictions on freedom of speech in this country. Um, But actually, the focus of the inquiry was almost exclusively on the Racial Discrimination Act, when in actual fact there are other laws, like, for example, the Border Force Act, um, which makes it a penalty, a criminal penalty of up to two years um, for someone to speak out about... um, Detentions. Yeah, Yeah. detention centres, including on Nauru and Manus. Um, And there's also the ASIO Act, which criminalises journalists um, reporting on special intelligence operations, even where the report on such an operation would be in the best interests of the public. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a criminal charge of up to five years or ten years if it's um, aggravated. Um, so there's, there are other laws that are quite concerning from a freedom of speech perspective that the committee really didn't address. Mm. Um, Especially so because a, those laws seem to be aimed at, you know, refugees, recent immigrants, and, and sometimes the First Nations people. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. it's it's um it's 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 great to to hear that um you know the committee is actually sticking to to its guns by making sure that they're not amending that. I know, I think um uh, the Human Rights Commission president la- uh, last year, I think Gillian Triggs, had said she would support the replacement of the words offend and insult um, mm. with the word vilify a, a while back. But it's good to see that. Um, you know, they've, they've upheld it and um, made sure that, um, you know, there is no weakening of Section 18C, which would have um, legitimised and encouraged racism in the future. Absolutely. Well, we wait and see what um, the Prime Minister does with this because um, <laughs> ball's in his court. Oh, he's too busy trying to take away uh, <laughs> some wages from people at the moment. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, thank you for joining us on 3CR. really appreciate you giving us an insight into, I guess, some of the work that the committee's doing and um, some of the work that um, the international organisation that is Amnesty is doing as well. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Have a fantastic morning. You too. Bye. Bye. And that was uh, Stephanie Cousins, uh, Advocacy and External Affairs Manager at Amnesty International. And she raised a, a couple of good points, you know. She did say that the, the whole committee's decision um, was, was, was paramount uh, to the independence of the, the, the commission. And, and what they were asking for is um, for, for that commission to not be infringed by any of these amendments that were... Um, being suggested. I guess the freedom of speech inquiry, as she mentioned, should have been an opportunity to look at the laws in Australian books that really do restrict freedom of expression, but they're quite happy with what is happening and um, we look forward to Malcolm Turnbull taking some action. 
Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at bi-alliance.org. The Thinkers and Makers Salon is a monthly event with special guests, jam sessions and an open mic segment set to provoke discussion, communicate experience and inspire thoughtful debate. It's curated by Noor Shikembi and hosted by Sukshi Galasa. On Thursday the 2nd of March, join Nazid Kimi, Ghassan Haj, Miss Safa and Fiona Boyd for the inaugural event. The Thinkers and Makers Salon on the first Thursday of each month, 7 to 9pm at The Good Room. 390A Ligon Street, Brunswick East. Go to thefoundlingarchive.org.au for more information and bookings. The Foundling Archive is a 3CR supporter. It's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into. 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontieres, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hit Sister Hop on 3CR 855 AM. Music matters on 3CR, 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. Call 94198377. A newspaper shout, a new style is growing. Okay, it's just gone past 8 o'clock on 855 AM 3CR. Um, show us your love. Subscribe to 3CR. You can always call 94198377. Um, you know, there's there's subscriptions for wage, there's subscriptions for concession, there's a solidarity. Um, and if you're like me and you're obsessed with Nova Cinemas, you don't have to go on Mondays. You can get your industry discount any other day of the week by showing your 3CR uh, membership card. And um, it works well. It opens a lot of doors, unfortunately. Um, you know, they're the doors that we, sorry, fortunately, they're the doors that we love. Um, and we know, um, what good, um, 3CR does and we know what those groups that we're associated with do as well. What I thought we might do was, um, listen to, uh, Matt Conkle, who's a 3CR Stick Together program, um, presenter, um, which is on every Wednesday morning, 8.30 till 9 o'clock. And it's trade union news segment, which is, uh, you know, quick fire news stories um, presented by Matt Kunkel. This is uh, a show that aired on February the 22nd. The Federal Coalition is seeking to push an omnibus bill through the Senate that includes dramatic cuts and other anti-worker measures. The bill contains a number of so-called zombie measures that failed to pass the Senate after the regressive 2014 federal budget. The government is holding families hostage, promising only to make small increases to childcare benefits if the bill is passed. But, if enacted, the bill would also end the energy supplement to new welfare recipients, making it even harder for them to make ends meet. It would also see some women lose part of their paid parental leave. 
There are several other cuts and measures designed to punish low and middle income earners while leaving multinationals free to continue avoiding their fair share of tax. The bill would also increase the pension age to 70. While the government argues that such a move is necessary because we are living longer, they seem to forget that this is in large part due to taxpayer-funded health research and universal health care. It comes at a time when the government is making damaging cuts to health funding and undermining the Medicare system. Increasing the pension age shifts the benefits of healthcare expenditure away from the public to the advantage of big business. Such a move will expand the growing class of elderly workers who cannot afford to retire, putting further downward pressure on wages and conditions. Public sector workers in New South Wales have defied court orders to take industrial action last week, protesting the New South Wales state government's plans to privatise disability services in preparation for the rollout of the NDIS. More than 700 members braved heavy rain to march on Parliament House with several regional rallies also raising awareness on the issue. The move mirrors plans in Victoria to privatise some state disability services, where unions say it will put those with complex needs at risk, with the private sector either unwilling or unable to provide the needed support with the low levels of federal funding provided for the NDIS. Hundreds of unionists rallied in Adelaide this week to protest the changes to the ABCC legislation snuck through the Senate with the support of crossbenchers Darren Hinch and Nick Xenophon. The changes throw the construction industry into chaos as it changes the start date of the regressive new building code, meaning several businesses who have signed EBAs with the CFMEU in recent months will now no longer be able to win lucrative government work. The rally focused on how the regressive new building code will lead to reduced OHS standards and an increase in casualisation in the industry. Speaking at the rally was Pam Gurner-Hall, whose husband was killed on site. There's a story that links Nick Xenophon directly to Jorge. Years ago, when I first met him, 15 years ago, Nick was trying to get himself uh, a platform in the, the Federals. And Jorge and I went to visit him, and he was at a Greek fair, and he had a little table, and Jorge, in his usual way that he went about it, started drilling him on what his what, uh, platform was. What did he stand for? Jorge talked to him about what it was like to be a worker in this industry and coming from another country some of the difficulties he faced on the sites, you know, even around so far as he had such a strong accent. And they had a big long chat. Nick said, yeah, you know, I'm with you, mate. I'm with you, mate. Well, I just want to ask Nick, where the hell are you now? Where the hell are you now? You're either, you're either with the workers or you're against the workers. So let me just start off on that platform because that is a serious devastation that Nick Xenophon would be signing off on legislation which is against what we're, what we're trying to achieve here, which is safety on sites. The CFMEU have vowed to step up their fight against the ABCC, with Dave Noonan quoted as saying that the union will take the fight to the streets and that there will be further large-scale protests against these attacks. Current and former staff of lingerie and adult chain Honeybird Debt have stepped up their campaign for safer workplaces. After widespread reports from employees about maltreatment and sexual harassment, after fiery protests in Melbourne last year, the campaign has spread into state, with dozens of workers and supporters marching on the Sydney headquarters of the company. The protest urged customers to break up with Honey Burdett, who has been accused of forcing staff into demeaning and suggestive sale practices to boost revenues, and of ignoring repeated claims of sexual harassment by customers. If you'd like to find out more about the campaign, you can find more information on the Young Workers Centre Facebook page. Hundreds of union members attended a rally on Valentine's Day to continue their campaign against the privatisation of the Wyong Hospital in New South Wales. The protest is another example of how unions are fighting the neoliberal program of privatisation across the country. 
Unions WA are spearheading a campaign in the lead-up to the WA state elections against the Liberal government's plans to privatise the electricity system. The fight may also be coming to Victoria too, with news reports in The Age flagging that the state Labor government is looking for further asset recycling opportunities in the upcoming budget. Asset recycling is just a euphemism for privatisation, pushed by the federal Liberal government who is seeking to starve the states of key infrastructure funding to pressure them into further privatisation of public assets. In international news, British supermarket chain Tesco have been rocked by a series of rolling strikes at their Irish stores. Members of Mandate, the retail and hospitality union, are campaigning against the company's plan to unilaterally change the contracts of their longer-serving employees, which would see wage cuts of up to 20%. The changes would also have negative effects on work-life balance, requiring greater flexibility and lowering rostering protections. While the dispute predominantly centres around a minority of the company's 14,500 workers, those employed prior to 1996, the strikes and pickets continue to grow across the chain. Initially, eight stores commenced an indefinite strike on Valentine's Day, but were joined late last week by a further eight stores. In the face of mounting pressure, Tesco has agreed to talks with the union with a view to resolving the dispute. Despite this, the strike appears destined to grow further, with 23 more stores scheduled to vote on strike action this week. You can follow the campaign on the workers' Facebook page, Tesco Workers Together. Good news out of Kenya, where a court of appeal has released seven leaders of the medical practitioners, pharmacists and dentists union, who were jailed last week for refusing to end a two-month strike in public hospitals. In response to the jailing, private doctors called for a 48-hour strike, adding further pressure to the government. Over 5,000 medicos remain on strike, seeking the implementation of a deal made between the union and the government in 2013. Stick Together program presenter Matt Conkle with uh, Trade Union News. Um, just go to a few community announcements. Uh, March 9, 10.30am, Trades Hall. There's a national rally. Enough is enough. Stop the war on workers. So um, fight back. This is on, on Thursday the 9th of March at 10.30am, Vic Trades Hall, the corner of Victoria Street and Ligon Street. Uh, get out there and, um, yeah, support uh, the, the rally. Obviously, you know, there is a war on workers and uh, Malcolm Turnbull and uh, Bill Shorten have a war on at the moment regarding that 3CR we've got International Women's Day I um next week and we are having an all day broadcast here at the station so celebrate International Women's Day on Wednesday 8th of March as we bring you 24 hours of radio um featuring you know the talent of women broadcasters that make up 3CR this year we are celebrating with a live Wednesday breakfast show, come down to the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, from 7am till 8.30am to be part of the live audience and to enjoy a light breakfast in the 3CR courtyard. It's time now to uh, introduce our next guest. NITV and SBS have been um, running um, the Face Up to Racism, so hashtag FU to Racism, um, which features a season of stories and programs challenging preconceptions around race and prejudice. There's been a few over the last few days, but there's actually a photo series which is um, running at the moment. So it's a, it's a compelling photo series um, called Muslim, Aboriginal and Outspoken. To find out a little bit more, we are joined by the... Uh, concept creator and online editor at SBS, Sophie Veras. Good morning, Sophie. Hi, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Um, thanks for joining us on uh, 3CR. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've been to your studios a couple of times, so you know, nice to now be a guest. 
Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, you're more than welcome to come in every Thursday morning to give to, to have a chat. Um, now, obviously, I just mentioned NITV celebrating Race Week. I was quite um, uh, interested in this story because, you know, you just get caught up so much in your own day-to-day thing, um, things. You go to work, you read the, the media you want to read. Here at 3CR, we read a lot of media, which is very different to the mainstream. But um, uh, the collaboration with uh, Stuart Miller um, – brings um you know to the forefront the issue of um being muslim being indigenous as well yeah i think um well it's really interesting in that sense because i think it talks about a marginalization maybe not always in a marginalization but a marginalization on top of the marginalization mm. um i think that it opens a dialogue that um, I think it opens a dialogue about this fine line between race and religion as well. Um, yep. You know, this is a real privilege to work on, and I think it was such a privilege because we got to meet um, such fantastic people, and I think that I actually made some, you know, really good friends out of it. And so, you know, you would hear these people's stories, and um, a lot of the women, because obviously they are covered wearing hijabs or headscarves or even a jilbab, and, um, you know, they, they, they say that they experience kind of that everyday racism. Um, I mean, I shouldn't sort of trivialise it like that, you know, but, mm. you know, being told, like, you know, go back to where you came from, and it's just so interesting because, you know, these are our First Nations people, so... Um, you know, if you want to talk about the fine line between race and religion, I mean, what does that, you know what I mean, just because they're they're participating and um, uh, practising Islam, you know, suddenly they're, they're told that they can't live in their country in which they've, their ancestors originated. And I think when um, we were organising the interview, you mentioned that you came up with, with a concept and in, in, in the um, press release there, it talks about the, the, the thought-provoking quote from boxing legend yeah. Anthony Mundine, which is, um, three things that you shouldn't be in this society. I like how we use the word shouldn't be, uh, and that's Muslim, Aboriginal, and outspoken. So, you, and that dialogue between, I guess, then, um, the Muslim faith in Australia and being Indigenous is, is one that, um, a lot of people wouldn't even sort of think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, those words by Anthony Mundine, like, well, well, they were just kind of a bit chilling, really. I didn't realise he was such a <laughs> kind of a, a prophet in that sense. Um, I think that um, the way that the concept really originated was just, I think it was another article that I stumbled upon. I'd always known about this um, this Australian history with the Afghan Cameleers, yeah. um, sort of bringing Islam into Central Australia. Um, so I think that I just wanted to explore that a little bit more, um, maybe see if there are people whose ancestors were of, you know, um, these Cameleers or even, um, you know, uh, in, Indo-Malay fishermen from from up the top end. But then also, the more that I looked into it on a contemporary setting, there is a lot more people um, converting and identifying with it. So, um, yeah, I guess that that's kind of what um, what started the um, yeah what 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 started the, the series. Process. Yeah, and, 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 um, and no, tying no, it back to to also the way that Indigenous Australians, I guess Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, have always told stories. You know that they've obviously used different art forms, and this um, photo- photography series is an opportunity to to use another art form to tell a story. Yeah, um, look, we were really lucky to collaborate with 
Stu. He's an award-winning photographer um, and, uh, you know, his works, I mean, he did an amazing series um, about um, the conflict between um, Bougainville and Papua New Guinea and that's in the National Gallery of Victoria. So anyway, he's obviously, um, you know... uh, He's kind of worked with first. Um, he's, he's worked capturing First Nations people before, um, and um, yeah. I mean, in terms of um, in terms of telling this story, even when we sort of spoke to the participants, we, you know, everyone's got a really interesting story. They've all got a really interesting sort of journey to Islam, whether they were born into it or um, or not. But I think that we just really wanted this photography to tell the story because I guess, you know, we had Stuart at hand. So, um, why not? And, 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 and it worked out beautifully because, you know, you know, everyone is so diverse. So, you know, you have mothers and they've got, they're holding their children or, you know, you've got, um, you know, Mundine and he's standing in his, um, his famous, um, Redfern gym, which is on the block. So yeah, I think it is a really interesting way of, um, uh, way of talking about this and 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 I think it's just a much better way than maybe like a kind of standard feature or article where you have full quotes from people because you're actually seeing the faces of mm. these people and um you know look I mean I've heard um of course you, you hear criticism it's a pretty provocative topic um but I think that maybe I hope that maybe that would die down a little bit more to actually you know See these people, you know, see that they have agency, um, you know, see that, um, you know, the Muslim faith, everyone comes into it in a very, very different way. Mm. And um, also um, opens up a dialogue about Indigenous Australia and, and sort of challenges, you know, perceptions pre-con- about... Yeah, preconceptions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, being um, Indigenous does not mean that you, you know necessarily have a religion that is, you know, some traditional spirituality. You know, I mean, every uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person is, you know, they have um, developed with the um, multicultural landscape around them. And this and this photo series really speaks to that. And I had a, I had a quick look because I noticed um, on the uh, SBS website you had a few images there. And it was interesting to see the, the diversity of... of um, um, people, the photos were taken of, and I guess their their journeys. You know, the, the the journeys seem to be as diverse as as the people themselves. Yeah, and that's what we um. That's definitely what we wanted to come across. I mean, to tell you a bit of kind of behind the scenes, there was a point where we had a vast number of women, and we our, our only male participant was Anthony Mundine, and we sort of thought, oh god, that's going to look a little bit strange. Mm. I mean, it actually does reflect the um topic we're talking about because um, of my understanding there is more women um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who um, practice Islam um, apparently um, but no no we, we, we got um, we got there in the end just to give that really great balance and I think that that's the other thing that um, I really did want to say uh, or, or, or NITV kind of wanted to talk about was their journey is so different and um, you know you do have people uh, you do have people converting um, but you also have um, this conversation about um, uh, bi-national relationships and intermarriages. Um, you know, there was um, some Wiradjuri brothers, Omar and Obeid. And yeah, I think, you know, they, yeah, yeah, and I mean, they practice Islam um, because they um, because their father is Syrian and he's a Syrian Muslim. So, yeah. 
you know, I mean, so so maybe some of uh, so influences that come from even our Asian neighbours and 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 you know yes, socialising with them. Absolutely, and then you obviously have people like Mundine who were inspired by Malcolm X, and you know he he researched he researched um the faith. Mm. Um, but I think that you know when you look at the the boys that I was talking about, uh, uh, Obed and Oman, they. You know, I think that there can be uh, some criticism about kind of Aboriginality and and sort of um, taking on a religion that does not originate from Australia. Um, but then, you know, I think that by by saying that or looking at that, you are kind of uh, taking away the very real case that um, many uh, Indigenous families are, are, are mixed um, and they have... Yeah, um, you know, as we've seen, they've got um, Muslim influence from from another partner. Mm, mm. And I think, you know, you touched on it earlier too, um, that whole idea, uh, well, I guess the the dialogue around the the faith itself, um, you know, there's, I think Kevin Dunn, who's a professor at Sydney University, uh, had done a survey with just over 6,000 respondents and he was talking to them, and some of the findings were things like 31% of respondents claim to have negative feelings towards Muslim Australians. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're, Muslims themselves in Australia have issues that they're consistently fighting with, but mm. you throw in the Indigenous aspect, and then, you know, mm. around around January the 25th, there's another whole issue that they have to deal with. Isn't, isn't that so funny? I mean, my friends and I were actually kind of joking, you know, being these kinds of um, social justice warriors, but, you know... <laughs> Um, and I'm proud to say that I am, but, you know, we, we're talking about that billboard that went up in Melbourne and, mm. you know, they, they took it down because it um, it showed the faces of the young girls who were Muslim. Mm. Um, and then people like, put that back up, you know, don't don't um, basically, you know, silence the Muslim community on yeah. January 26th. And then, and then you've got people who had to have a second thought and said, actually, scrap that. Let's not do January yeah, twenty sixth. Yeah, yeah. um, but you know, that's I mean, that's just the process of um any kind of sociology. You know, you have to um you have to look at things from all different aspects and um you know, and then and then you come up with these, you know you know, uh, say, you know, these kind of fantastic um projects where you meet <laughs> these people Interesting who people. um yeah, uh, uh, uh marginalized groups on top of marginalized groups. And um yeah, I just I, I mean I have to say like thank you to all the participants who yeah. Who actually participated? And, and let them. You know, if it wasn't for their bravery to, you know, come out, um, you know, in a kind of a mainstream society where, as Anthony Mundine puts it, um, you know, you shouldn't be Muslim, Aboriginal, or outspoken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got to hand it to the people who who really wanted to kind of tell their story through. Um, through images. Through images. And I guess, you know, as, as our country has become more multicultural and now more openly political, um, the idea of looking at how this faith has developed and continues to give many Indigenous people pride is a fantastic um, initiative. Where, where can people go and see the, the, the photos? Yeah, so, um, well, it's just, it's, it's online. So it was a, um, yeah, a production that we did just on uh au forward slash NITV or it's on the SBS homepage. Um, I think that um, uh, they're up on all of the SBS and NITV Facebook channels because that's where people really kind of participate and comment and like and things like that. So, um, uh, you know, currently it's digital um, and 
uh, hopefully, I've got my fingers crossed, but maybe we'll see these beautiful portraits in print. And, you know, and that's something which is fantastic, you know, some stories and, and um, I guess, images that challenge preconceptions around race, religion, and some of the prejudices associated with that. Um, Sophie, we really appreciate you joining us on 3CR and giving us an insight into um, the project there with Stuart Miller. Um, there could have been a lot more we could have talked about. We could have covered, um, you know, even that whole, the influences that date back as far as the 1700s, something that we would never have learnt about in high school. But thank you for joining us on 3CR. Thank you so much. It was a, it was a pleasure. Have a good morning. And that was uh, Sophie Verras from SBS who's um, come up with that concept and worked with, um, you know, a few, uh, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the word brave. I would think that they were entitled to, um, you know, talk about their Muslim faith as Indigenous Australians and make sure that there is a dialogue about their identity and Australian identity. I'll be back in just a moment. Following the success of last year, Relay for Life Hawthorne will be on again. Relay for Life recognises and celebrates local cancer survivors, patients and their carers and honours and remembers loved ones lost to cancer. It also raises money to help save more lives. The Relay kicks off on the 25th of March at 4pm at John Gardiner Reserve, Auburn Road, Hawthorne East. With 23 teams already registered and over $5,000 raised, now is the time to register your team or donate. Call Nick on 0477 340 600 or Joe on 0417 514 392 or search for Relay for Life Hawthorne for more information. Relay for Life is a 3CR supporter. It's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into. 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontier, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hit Sister Hop on 3CR 855 AM. Music matters on 3CR, 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. Call 94198377. News people shout, a new style is growing. Uh, 826 on 855 AM 3CR. Coming towards the end of the show, I um, mentioned at the start of the show that it was really going to be focusing on some of the... the uh, issues that are happening around racism, um, I guess racial discrimination, and I guess about Indigenous uh, identity for some Indigenous people um, in Australia. I think the National Census reported there was around uh, 1,100 um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Australians identifying as Muslim. Uh, during this week, uh, over the last few days, SBS has had the face up to racism um, with a season of stories and programs challenging uh, concepts, preconceptions around race and prejudice. I had a quick look at um, Is Australia Racist, which aired on Sunday, so you can go to SBS for that. Date My Race was on Monday, and The Truth About Racism was on last night. Didn't get a chance to look at that, but some, yeah, studdling um, uh, results there, um, some of the findings. I mean, it was only 6,000 respondents, but at least they took part. Um, 20% believe that African refugees increase crime in Australia. That doesn't surprise me. You read news.com or, or any of those publications online and it seems like um, 
you know, um, all those um, tr- the troubled youths seem to be from Africa, but that's that's just the, the reports. And 31% um, of respondents claim to have negative feelings towards Muslim Australians, which which surprises me. I'm growing up in this country and going to school with all types of um, faiths and religions and, and cultures, um, I wouldn't have thought that it would have been that high. But the world is changing. I'd like to thank our first guest, Stephanie Cousins, who is from Amnesty International, and she was talking about um, the Amnesty International welcoming the decision not to rubber stamp any changes to 18C and 18D of the Racial Discrimination Act, which uh, could have been reckless, um, for the government, and they were hoping that the proposition is now well and truly put to bed. And just then, we spoke to Sophie Veras about a um, photo series, which I'll put the link up on um, the 3cr.org.au website, and it was pictures of Muslim Aboriginal um, uh, men and women who are outspoken, and it was really a, a celebration um, uh, in, in the form of a photo essay of Indigenous Australian Muslims. Um, and they were talking about how important it was to talk about their, their incredible faith and their privilege um, to be invited to talk about their faith. Um, thank you once again, and we'll be back next week. You've been listening to 3CR Breakfast, community news and independent current affairs. I'm Claire Burns. Adrian Wong. Diana Beaumont. Caden Nick. Rihanna Whitson. Bond and Dean. Katie Wise. The Uranium Mining Area. Shake-up of the Australian Defence Force. It's women who seem to miss out yet again. Qualified power station. Carbon price mechanism. Ongoing protests in Egypt. Some current affairs goodness for you this morning. 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast Show. Wednesday Breakfast. Thursday Breakfast. Friday Breakfast. We've got a massive show today. Monday to Friday, 7am until 8.30am on 3CR Digital, 855 on the AM dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. One of these days and it won't be long.